Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm Troy Richards, the senior pastor here at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri. I'm joined by our worship pastor, Daniel Mawson, and we're glad you decided to join us today. This podcast was created to show how all of God's Word leads us to a better understanding of Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior and Lord. Our church is working through a reading plan to read the entire Bible in a year, and each week we invite people to share what insights they've learned and what the Holy Spirit has revealed through the reading of God's Word. We'll also address some questions, some serious, some that are a lot of fun to talk about, all from this week's reading. And we pray that you will see how amazing the Bible is to read each and every day. And by us sharing some of our highlights, we hope you will be inspired to read it for yourself. You can find our reading plan and read along with us at www.firstbaptistjackson.com. So, Adam, yes. uh, last week you told us a little bit about how you are an entrepreneur, and uh, <laughs> and do you have any like new business ideas that you've got in the cooker? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know how quickly I'm going to move on stuff, um, but but I, I've been thinking about doing some stuff more on the cattle side um, with uh, potentially like trying to work with small farmers on their cow-calf stuff, see if I can kind of get oh, into hmm. um, some of the management side, and then I've... I've got a decent amount of resources to hopefully um, help basically bring calves that are uh, vaccinated and everything else like that. A little bit better of a program getting to to markets is, is oh, cool. kind of the thought process that I've had lately that I can start something small. And yeah, I have a I have a pastor friend who's a cattle man. And I'm just going to ask you, do you have a favorite breed of cattle? Oh, yeah. Angus. 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 He's an Angus guy. Uh, yeah. We used to raise registered Angus. So. Um, my, my, uh, friend is a white face Hereford. Is that right? <laughs> well, I mean, they're just Hereford. Right. Yeah. Oh, they don't have white faces. Your friend well, is they do have white friend. faces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my friend is a cow. Is actually, Whoa. So, uh, they, they all have no, white faces. Also. That's why they're just Herefords. Okay, whatever. <laughs> there's there's I mean, no green face Herefords. <laughs> no, no, there's not. Yeah. No, there's he not. said, you know, there were people who were actually, I think, breeding to where even the Herefords were black just because they would look like Angus because Angus became so popular. Mm-hmm. Well, time. that's a, it's a common thing. The black body is the dominant trait over red, mm-hmm. and then but a white face is dominant over black. So you mix an Angus and a pulled Hereford or regular Hereford, whichever, um, you're going to pop it out with a black black body, white head, and then you pretty much know that you've got a good mix of a, of a maternal breed being the, the Hereford and a uh. fairly paternal, it's a good mix, and the Angus breed, and so you've got a pretty decent calf by there, there you know, just by seeing it's a black, white I, I actually had a lady who left my church and went to his church and told him the reason is is because she liked his cow analogies. And I didn't, wow. I didn't have enough wow. cow stories in my sermon. That's, that's rough, man. So, I know. I know. I haven't changed. I still. So if you're looking for a church where there's a lot of cow stories, cow metaphors and such, it's not going to happen at First Baptist Church. People say Jackson. that they don't like the style of music that I do or the song selection that I do. But I've never been, you know, had that kind of criticism. Exactly. Yeah. That's pretty Very heavy. specific. So join yeah. us next week on the Understanding Cattle podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Although, you know, I guess if you came to me and said, we, we really love this church, but we really need more cow references, then I could have Adam do a special spot <laughs> yeah. for us. Using fever. everybody's giftedness. The only solution is more cow references. More cows. <laughs> 
<laughs> need more cowbell. <laughs> need more cowbell. Very good. Thank well, that's you. That's cool, Adam. Um, that's neat. That's neat. So what about this week's reading, Adam? What'd you find for us? Yeah. Um, so the first thing with Leviticus, there's it's it's uh, it's slow, <laughs> but um, <laughs> with Leviticus, the only thing I've really got is um, that in the pointing to Jesus aspect, uh, I thought that it was neat of just how detailed that it is, and thus the detail makes the requirement for perfection, and that's how I think that we point to Jesus in that it's that. That stuff is ridiculously detailed, ridiculously has to be perfect, and, and I don't necessarily understand why every little thing is perfect, but whatever. I mean, that's what God tells us, so we have to assume that it is. Um, but that's what the the standard that we couldn't hold up to, but Jesus could. Hmm. Yeah, and and it is a, you know, sprinkle, dip this in blood and sprinkle this seven times and put oil on this and this is unleavened and, and this uh, this is to be burned completely and this is not to be burned. You can eat this, but you can't eat that. And this person has to wear this and they can't wear that. And it's uh, and there's very meticulous details and guidelines and laws. No wonder the Pharisees lent themselves to be to create even more laws, thinking that if a few laws is good, mm-hmm. a lot of laws is great. And and so that and and I think we get into that mentality. I think we get into the mentality of if this if being strict about these things is good, let's be strict about everything. And and sometimes we miss the point that he is trying to demonstrate again a particular way that he wants to be worshipped that's different from the worship that they were used to, saying this is the way that I want to be worshipped. This is what I want you to differentiate worship of me, the one true God, from the worship of pagan gods, which you all had experienced in Egypt. Uh, but also to say, I, I'm trying to teach you what holiness means and and the and and how how separate I am from you and, and, and preparing yourself to come into my presence isn't to be something to be taken lightly, but understand there's a lot that has to be done and a lot of blood is shed, you know, just lots and lots of blood. And when you get, by the time you get to the time of Jesus, when you get to that Passover time, that would be the thing that would stand out in your mind is how many animals are being killed and how much blood is flowing uh, to accomplish nothing. I mean, really, because they're not getting any better. The people are still as wicked as they were when. um, And so it's all this longing for one perfect lamb to end it all. And, and, And Jesus becomes that. Obviously, Jesus is that person. Yeah. So my other question is, um, since Jews today would believe that Jesus was not the Christ, not the Messiah, mm-hmm. then it seems to me that they would still be under um, the Old Testament law, such as Leviticus, and doing all of these things. Mm-hmm. And so, but I don't think that they have a temple built to the designs of Exodus and thus then do everything in Leviticus. So what, what's up with that? Just well, curiosity. Once, once, the, uh, once Jerusalem was burned in AD 70 and the temple was destroyed, um, now, uh, even under Jewish, even in Jewish people don't follow a sacrificial system and so forth. It's more of a symbolic and, uh, spiritualized thing. Uh, thinking in terms of how we observe the Lord's Supper, you know, and, and think in terms of it, it represents the blood of Christ. It represents the body of Christ. Um, 
and and so they they have things that they do that represent a time in which these these practices were taken off. They have rabbinical teachings that they can follow and so forth. And so they're following the the teaching of an instructor of the time and so forth, who's saying this is how we are pleasing to God according to law and, and interpretation and so forth that they have. Um, we would see that as followers of Christ, as Christ came and and put an end to the sacrificial system because he was the sacrifice once and for all. There's uh, some thought that the, the sacrificial system will come back, that the temple will be rebuilt, that it will be restored, and that, that there will be a time when um, altars will be reestablished and that that will be something that comes uh, to, to be and that's a lot of end times prophecy and things like that that uh, people hold to that I, my only I guess admonition would be to us is don't get caught up in that because it doesn't apply to us in any way yeah, form right, or fashion right, right. and and Jesus the the clear thing that we do know is one uh, the gospel is that Jesus is the atonement he is the sacrifice he is the fulfillment of all these things so we don't have to go back and figure it out I don't have to learn how all the sacrificial system works or all the laws and neither do Jewish people because they <laughs> they can come through Christ as well the same freedom that I have just to simply come through Christ put my faith in him that he is sufficient for my salvation and I don't have to I don't have to put my trust in circumcision I don't have to put my trust in following uh, mosaic law i just put my trust that he did it and i'm and i'm trusting him to be my savior and lord that is not just available to me it's available to any jewish person it's available to any person of any background any race tongue or tribe something i also found out like on that on that point is that you know even like jewish people are just like any other group of people you know they're not all exactly the same in their ideologies so like the tel aviv livers people who are like really in the modern area are a lot more progressive in their i mean yeah. they're, none of them are it's a jewish culture and it's not a very christian culture so they're not saved per se so the tel aviv area is very like just modern just like you and me don't think about that kind of thing very often. Um, May not even worship. God. Probably don't even yeah. worship God. Yeah, they're not. They're not thinking religiously. The Jerusalem livers are usually more prone to think that way. And like even the Jerusalem Christian Jewish people would be more inclined to think, you know, try to try to hold Shabbat and try to carry out some of the Jewish traditions that the Tel Aviv Christian might not yeah. have that mindset. So it's a whole eclectic group of people. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, very much like Christi- Christianity, Christianity in, in every people group. You have a Western lot of, Christians lot of yeah, diversity. from yeah, Southern right, Christians. Right. Orthodox versus non-Orthodox. Yeah. 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 And I agree. It doesn't hardly in a sense matter to us. I was more or less just curiosity yeah. about it. Cause, yeah. Cause yeah, I don't really under, what I don't understand is like, what would be there? Like, like we have the reason of, of Jesus. He's our release from, from those laws. Oh, you're saying, why, I don't why, why do they continue on with the sacrificial system? Because well, they, they don't have any release. They don't have an out. Yeah. 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 Like if we believe the scriptures. Well, they don't have a temple. That is their out. That's the release. Oh. Yeah. The temple was destroyed. And so the, you're not supposed to. These uh, things were that we there read were, about. There were not, you were not supposed to. See, that was one of the problems within the kings is they would create high places and do sacrifices in place that God had not ordained for sacrifice. So uh, there is no place for sacrifices right now. So in their mind, they're, they are keeping with right. the law. Uh, okay. Right. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And they do long for the temple to be yeah. built. Yeah. 
and it, it, and it goes deeper than that. I'm not um, what I would call this would not be my highly trained area of expertise as far as Jewish orthodoxy, but um, um, but I do know that it, it lends itself. I know it all goes back to the destruction of Jerusalem back in the destruction of the temple in AD 70, and since then. Um, I don't want to say the rules have changed, but as far as they have their own teachings that justify why they don't do it, it's not like they're, uh, you know, people are going around saying, ah, you should be doing this. But I know they have a teaching that gives that gives them the out. Okay. They would say they are set free from that, at least, or at least is not required of them right now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Cool. I love it in um, in Leviticus um, where it talks about Jesus as like the bull. Or not, I think of it. They don't. It, Leviticus doesn't talk about Jesus. Yeah. I was thinking about the sin offering and the guilt offering and reading those things. And and of course, when I hear sin offering, my mind as a modern Christian thinks, well, Jesus, he's our sin offering. But they're talk, they're talking about this bull that they have to kill, and the priests are going to lay hands on it and put all the sin on it, and then they kill it. Yeah. And and I'm reading the sin offering and the and the guilt offering and. Um, it says the priests shall lay their hands on it, um, and and that reminds me of the of Jesus's beating in John chapter 18 when the priests beat him. They laid their hands on Jesus, and immediately after that, the sin of the world was placed on him, and he was slaughtered. Um, so just a, and uh, similar to the ram, it's the bull in the sin offering. It's the ram in the guilt offering. Um, and, and in seven in uh, Leviticus seven seven it says both laws are the same law like it compares the two in Leviticus seven seven and and I don't know I I don't know if I doubt Moses when he was transcribing God's words was thinking oh yeah this is a forward call to the coming Messiah but I have to I have to wonder if God wasn't you know come you know preparing something, preparing a, a language in the, the mind of his people for what would he what he would one day do with his son. Mm. I do think that, um, I, I think about those offerings also the, and the scapegoat offering. Yeah, um, yeah. Where on the Day of Atonement when uh, they, Aaron takes and puts his hands upon the goat and, and they, on that male goat, and then they send it outside of the city, which is, and, you know, if you look ahead, Jesus has taken out, you know, has the sin of mankind upon him and then is taken outside the city. Um, and, and that day the, the goat was released. But, um, uh, but the, again, yes, God is the one who is describing all these things and all of it ties into uh, what he is going to do with his own son Jesus. It really starts, we've talked before, with Abraham needing a sacrifice, uh, not called to sacrifice his own son. God provides the sacrifice for him. And uh, and so from that's like one of the first places where you have this open symbolism of I am going to give my son as the sacrifice. And, and now you have this elaborate uh, sacrificial system in which God is saying, this is ultimately what I'm going to do through my son, who is going to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Mm. Good stuff. Can we talk for a second about chapter 10, um, Nadab and Abihu? Sure. And their, their strange fire. Yes. Where they die? Where they die, but they're, they're consumed with fire, but their clothes aren't burnt up. Right. Um, which is, I mean, a miraculous fire, first of all, which God seems to be in the habit of doing. But 
what does that strange fire look like? I assume that they offered him like an unsolicited, unsanctioned um, sacrifice. Well, it, it was a. <clears throat> they did not honor God's holiness, and it was the, the one of the translations says it was profane fire. Mm. Um, in that they did it in such a way where God says, "I want you to do it exactly this way." They did not do it the way that it was prescribed by God to do it, and by offering that profane fire, um, because they were entrusted as the priest to to maintain the holiness of God. Uh, there, are, there are clear times in Scripture where God says, this is very important. Absolutely do it the way I ask you to do it, and if you do not do it, then the result will be your death. So, Kind of like Ananias and Sapphira. Mm-hmm. Not a sin that has been committed many, many, many times that did not result in death. But in that context, it was extremely important that holiness and purity of the early church was maintained. And so they violated that, and so God acts in a very graphic way. Uh, when um, David is bringing the Ark of the Covenant in, and he doesn't do it the way God prescribed to do it. And so the ox stumbles, the... the the ark starts to fall and a guy reaches out to catch it and he dies as a result of touching it. Um, all those are moments where God's saying, hey, holiness is very important. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I want to make sure I impress upon you that uh, it's not like some type of witchcraft or sorcery moment where you have this, uh, where you, like a Raiders of the Lost Ark moment we talked about last week where you open it up and everybody's faces melt. It's not that. <laughs> it's that... I have told you that my holiness is important and I want you to do it exactly this way. And and doing something in a way contradictory to that um, results in your death. Moses ultimately paid that price when he didn't get to go into the promised land as a result of not doing it, not obeying God to the letter of what God asked. So, yeah. it, it definitely would strike the fear in the hearts of people. For sure. I mean, you have these very prominent people who are told very openly, this is how this is to be done, and they do not do it that way, and the result is death. So then that would put clearly in people's minds, oh, wait a second, we should do this the way God asked us to do it. Well, and even for us today, like, even though we have, we talked a little bit last week about our ability to, you know, come before God freely and boldly now, Mm -hmm. Um, but but even still, it, it should, I think, instill in us this thought, this this momentary pause before we do something that God hasn't sanctioned or ordained in our worship. You know, Um, we don't just get to come and do whatever we want in our worship. I think sometimes as modern American Christians, we think that God will be happy with whatever we offer him. And that's just not a model given to us in scripture. Well, that's been the the struggle in the church. And I I think when, um, you know, because we could come from a Southern Baptist background and, and so forth, we tie our roots back kind of to, if you go back to the separatist who were who are really saying the Church of England had left a form of worship that was pleasing to God, had lost a sense of reverence and all for the Word of God, and so it's like we are calling ourselves to be separate from that and to be faithful to what God's Word teaches, mm-hmm. and uh, and that goes back to the, you know, really the 1700s, uh, where where our denomination was uh, came into to being, but but that idea mm-hmm. goes back all the way to the New Testament 
in that you God's well even even here in the Old Testament, it's that God says this clearly, and and people always need to be faithful to what is it that God has said to do, and how do we do it in a way that's pleasing and glorifying to Him, and and that. You know, you never take safety in that I am a member of this denomination. Never take safety in that I was raised by these people or we come from this area of the country or we wear these type of clothes or whatever. It is always, are we being faithful to obey God in the way he has asked us to obey him? And uh, and he has clearly given us instructions. I think that's why Jesus, uh, you know, you have all these commands. And, and one of the reasons I like the book of Leviticus it gives so much more weight to what Jesus tells his disciples uh, when he says, all right, you're because uh, they would be familiar with all these laws, all these Levitical laws and strict, minute things and and do this 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 and don't do this and don't do this. And if you've, and if you've got this sore on you, then you're unclean. You got to be outside the pan. You touch this, you can't worship and you're ceremonially unclean and you can't do all these things. So you have all these things that either hinder your ability to worship him or, or to not be in his presence. And then he says, but let me sum it all up for you. I want you just to love each other the way that I love you. I came here to show you how God wants to be worshipped and how God wants to be served. And then when he washes their feet, he's saying, I'm visibly showing you this is the type of person that God, this is how you worship God. By serving other people, by washing their feet, by taking, by me taking care of you and serving you, this is the type of worship that he really is longing for. So if you get all these other things right, none of that matters if you're not doing this. Let's go to Proverbs. 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 Got a question in Proverbs. <clears throat> um, all right, so... If you look at chapter 9, this kind of dips into last week, but um, what I found interesting anyways is, and just looking for commentary more or less, if you look at verse 4 and verse 16, um, so both like the woman of, of wisdom would be the verse 4 and then the woman of, mm. of folly, their, their opening line is the exact same. Yeah. And um, I just... I don't really have, I don't know what to think of it, but I sure thought it was interesting. Who was the the second verse? I've lost you. You said? Uh, 4 and 16. And 16? Okay. Oh, whoever's an experienced in her here? Yeah. And then also to the one who lacks sense, um, she says, and and after that, it it changes. But 4 and 16 are the exact same verse. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was so interesting that, like, you know, it, it, as I read through it anyways, you don't, they they sound the exact same until you like um, the the woman of, of wisdom talks for a very long time, kind of giving advice right from the beginning, um, whereas the the woman of folly is is quite short. Um, but anyway, it's just like the similarity between the two in their opening lines. Mm. I, I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. Well, I'm looking at the verses before it, and the wise woman is is sending out all of her people throughout the whole city, and it's like this proclamation, come into this city and and receive wisdom, you know, or receive rest. This is almost like a, almost to me seems like matronly, like, like not a, but 
in contrast, 16 is like, hey, come into this this little side house, almost like a prostitute or mm-hmm. or someone of ill repute would say, hey, come in with me in secret, whereas the other is this big, I don't know, pro- proclamation of, of well-being in the first one. The second one is of destruction, it seems. I don't know. Pastor Troy, what do you... Well... Let me just back up a little bit. There's this is this is actually one of the most important sections in Proverbs there is, and um, and not the passage you're not the verse you're focused on, but on this the key verse here is where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. This this thought process is and really kind of if you take that verse and kind of go out radiate out from there, you kind of see that uh, there are two types of people being portrayed here. There are those people who fear the Lord and who want to learn. And, and basically, the uh, it says, uh, like in verse 7, it says, The one who corrects a mocker will bring abuse on himself. The one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. Uh, do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke the wise and he will love you. Um, don't waste your time on people who have no interest in in gaining wisdom. And, and so it's, it's like... Painting this picture, if you can think of, of we're calling people in who want to come in, who want to, re- to to be in this place, who who receive this instruction, who are desiring to go. It's uh, and and that starts. It starts with the fear of the Lord. If you don't fear, if people aren't fearing the Lord, and when we encounter people who don't fear the Lord, don't pour out your wisdom or try to say I'm gonna I'm gonna make this person follow Jesus. I'm gonna try to help this person with their life. It has to begin. With them saying, I reckon, you know, and the 12-step program, it, it, that's one of the things. First, you admit you have a problem, but you have to admit there's a higher power or whatever. Uh, and and that's that's kind of geared in this same vein of thought. We have to come to terms with, there's a God who's smarter than me, and he knows the way that I should be going. And so now I want to know what he has to say. I was um, uh, was reading about uh, Jesus and his followers, and, and, and you notice when he met his disciples, it wasn't a, uh, they were super sinful, and Jesus came and said, your life is bankrupt, and I can be your Lord and Savior. And he, he went to their work, and they were still drawn to him. I mean, they left their nets to follow him because there was something about him that said, hey, this guy's smarter than the average bear, <laughs> and I want to know more about what he has to say. It was in that relationship where they began to to understand, but but it's because it started that they had a, they all were God-fearing people. They were all were people who, and that's that's who he drew. That's who followed him. It was people who wanted to know more about God, who wanted to understand God in a better way. And so that's one of the things when you look at people and say, why did they do this and why did they do that? Well, it's if they don't have a fear of the Lord, then they're not going to be drawn to the wisdom that God offers. They're going to be drawn to uh, whatever it is, enticed by their own lust or enticed by uh, the riches of the world or by their own power or by their own self-magnification or by their own pride. And that and this is the thing Proverbs warns against. But but here you have the word fear. Mm-hmm. And until we understand that God is the one to be feared, and Jesus even said that. He said, do not fear the one who has the power to kill you. Fear the one who not only has the power to kill you, but to cast your soul into hell. That's who you need to be afraid of. That's who you need to fear. And um, it reminds me of my relationship with my dad. Because I know my dad loved me. Um, 
But I was terrified of my father. He he had a he had a way of uh, inf- inflicting that fear upon me, and it was but it was a good fear in that it kept me from going down roads and paths that I shouldn't go down, and in a- opened my heart, enabled me to learn from him, because I feared him. When he spoke, I listened to what he said. I his words had merit, and I and I understood. I'm I'm. This is very important. I need to hear what he's saying. So when he spoke, we listened. Um, and the same way it is in our our understanding of God. Um, people aren't. You know, I was talking about last week. I was talking about this atheist online or whatever that was talking and just spouting ignorance. And 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 people are like, when you see that, it's like I I see so many well-meaning people who then say. I'm going to tackle him, you know, it's like, it's not worth your time. You know, he obviously doesn't, he doesn't fear the Lord. So, you know, he's not going to see anything you say as being wise or worth receiving. Um, So when you see a person who does fear the Lord, who has this, uh, it is that kind of same word. uh, The, the, I forgot what she said now. What was the word? I've closed my Bible up. I shouldn't have done that. What is it? That verse you said, verse four. Four. Oh, come, come, um, Four is, turn in here. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the, it's a calling, that invitation, that is to people who have that fear. You know, it's that, if, if you, if you're wanting to learn, if you're wanting to grow, if you're wanting to really get some insight, um, this is for people who fear the Lord, you know. Yeah. And if you don't, then obviously don't, don't turn here. <laughs> well, that's so key because there's, um, you know, you're talking about, First, you know, trying to correct a scoffer, you know, is what mm-hmm. we're talking about there, and um, and comparing that with fear of the Lord is because we have we talk about that so much, like the fear. What does it mean to fear the Lord? And we get really hung up on that. But and it's, that's not even the first time the fear of the Lord is mentioned mm-hmm. in the Proverbs. It, even in the previous chapter, it says the fear of the Lord in verse eight, uh, thirteen of chapter eight. Verse thirteen of chapter eight says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, mm-hmm. and. And that's just that because I myself, I spend a lot of effort and time thinking about what does it mean to fear the Lord? I went through this whole phase of what is is it fear? Is it, you know, we have that discussion all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but do I hate evil? Do mm-hmm. I turn aside from things that are folly? And and that's I mean, if if not all encompassing, that's such a part that I latched on to. The thing with the Great Commission, uh, the, the end of Matthew, uh, as I said before, he Matthew was supposed to be this moment of of uh, he is the Jewish Messiah, he is the one that we are looking for, and here he says all authority now has been uh, given to me. Uh, so you have this now. I he is at the right hand of the Father, and all he has all authority, and so he has the authority to commission us to go out and to do his will. And so, flip that. Now we've got that ending in Matthew, and now we go into Mark, and it starts with the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Um, and and really, a lot of Matthew is pulled. From the Gospel of Mark, uh, a lot of scholars believe that Mark was written first, and then you have Matthew and Luke who pulled elements of Mark and then enhanced it. Matthew more to a Jewish audience, Luke more to a Gentile audience. Um, but regardless of the fact, Mark is really the bare bones. Mark is 
a lot of times believed to be um, its apostolic link, if you will. Uh, Mark is believed to be the guy who um, went with Paul and Barnabas, reason for their um, splitting up. Uh, because he was Paul didn't want to take him on their next journey, and Barnabas did, so they went separate ways. But Mark was also a scribe of the Apostle Peter, and it's believed that the Gospel of Mark is simply a collection of the sermons and things that Peter preached, and Mark would have been familiar with these and simply wrote out the Gospel, basically preserving the teachings of Peter. Um, and so when you see it, not having the birth narrative, not having that uh, that Matthew and Luke have, Matthew, remember, I'm trying. I said earlier was he was trying to establish Jesus as the Messiah, so he needs the birth narrative. But Mark is just simply saying, let's just start with the ministry of Jesus, and now I'll tell you everything that um, transpired as a result of you know the stories that were important to communicate the good news of Christ. And so, um, so immediately we jump into Mark. It's the baptism of Jesus, and 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 here we go. And we're off. And we're off. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't waste a lot of time with stuff. It's immediately this, immediately that, and oh, here's his temptation. Two verses. Oh, yeah. here's his authority over a demon. One verse. Yeah. And, and it, does, it does, if you read it, it actually does flow more like a sermon. It really does. It's just a quick example here, an illustration here, and, and then we move here's on. Here's the basic yeah. story. Here's what you need to yeah, know. Yeah, but I'm trying to make a point. Right. Yeah. No, it goes very, very fast. Um, and really, kind of went so fast that there's... I didn't have any questions or much thoughts until about chapter 3 because it was just such short, short, quick points that, um, extremely to the, to the point. Um, so anyways, my first question then was Mark 3 and like 13 to 19 is, um, it sounded like, I think that it says that, um, that he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles, um, and so he like he appointed these people. Well, you know, I'd always kind of thought, anyways, that Jesus had just been like going around. He um, selected his twelve here and there, and so he had twelve people with him. But did he actually have like a lot more with him that then he selected twelve from? that larger group yes there were times where he had 70 hundreds of people around him um in, in fact one time we were talking when i was talking about he sent them out uh, into the cities he sent 70 out um but there were 12 that he selected um basically for apostolic leadership mm. uh, he was establishing um and it, and it kind of mirrors the same i mean he is the new israel and so he is uh, Israel had 12 sons, right. uh, so uh, Jesus is now choosing 12 people, and it, it and it kind of followed. Jesus kind of uses that language to say uh, when people say, "Hey, your mother and brothers are, are looking, sisters are looking for you," and Jesus says, um, "Well, who are my mother and brothers and sisters? It's those who do the will of the Father." And and so he's he's saying it's not about this blood connection uh, lineage thing anymore. This is about people who have my spirit upon them, who I have called out of darkness and into light and who do the will of, who now do the will of my father by, by doing the will of father. Now they are connected to me. Uh, that is, is that righteousness that, that draws us into that connection. So he's, he's called 12 people out. They have responded to that call. They are, now uh, there are 12 apostles. So being a disciples, big group, apostles, 12. 
In fact, so much so that when Judas betrayed, um, they needed a twelfth. They knew they needed a twelfth person to right. be, to be that. So they uh, had a casting of lots, and Matthias uh, became the twelfth apostle. Yeah. Okay. So then, next question. Um, I have definitely heard of something about this recently. I think it might have been in one of your sermons. Um, speaking about blasphemy, blasphemy of uh, against the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. But just what exactly does that really mean, and how is it different from just regular blasphemy? Regular blasphemy <laughs> from everyday blasphemy. <laughs> everyday blasphemy. <laughs> how is it different? Well, yeah, because it says. Um, I don't know if it's here, but somewhere else it says you can blaspheme the Son, you can blaspheme the Father, but when you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, now there is where the line is drawn. Yeah, uh, this one says, is Truly I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness. Where are you? Where are you at? Uh, sorry, 328 through 30. Okay, cool. Saying, Which is cool because we just were talking about um, his brothers and sisters. And that's just before the passage I was just for, like, All right. referring to. Um, I thought you were doing that on purpose. I, I didn't know he was going to say that. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, where he says, backing up a bit, he says, The scribes who come down from Jerusalem said he is possessed by Beelzebul, and he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. And it says, so he summoned them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is but is finished. But no one can enter a strongman's house and plunder his possessions unless he first ties up the strongman, then he can plunder his house. He's basically refuting their idea that he is coming as a tool of the enemy. He's saying, if I was of the enemy, then I would be destroying the enemy. Uh, right. You know, and so, I, so obviously, I'm not from the enemy. I am from God. And then he just gives them a, a solemn warning. He said, "Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they utter." And and elsewhere, again, a lot of other passages, uh, he said they can they can blaspheme the Son of Man, but you cannot blaspheme the Holy Spirit. So whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And he's he's saying they are speaking against the nature within him that is doing, that is working the works that he is working. And when you attribute to Satan the work of God, meaning the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the, the one who is actually affecting righteousness, then you are so then you've now cast yourself as the enemy of God. You are seeing as unrighteous the very righteousness of god and that's not you can't overcome that it really again we we look at things when we're looking at the old the bible we we understand lostness and being saved and all these different things from the whole verse of bible but he's talking to a group of people who think they're going to be saved as a result of being jewish and he's saying nope there he is making a definitive there is lostness and there is are those who are saved People who are saved are only people who can see that the work of the Holy Spirit is genuinely the Holy this God. But those people who cannot see that, who see that it is not, are are unable to. There's nothing that's going to save you. There's no work of righteousness. There's no doesn't matter who your daddy is, doesn't matter where you came from, doesn't matter whatever means you have. You don't understand the Holy Spirit is from God. You attribute that, but you blaspheme that. There's no hope for you ever being saved. Um, and so that's. We all know that 
truth yeah. as being everybody who's lost is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Everybody who's saved attributes the work of the Holy Spirit to be God. And I guess you could say, I mean, whenever it's to that extreme, that kind of goes back to our previous discussion of, I mean, if you see that, that's not a person to waste your time on and trying to, to right. save. Right. It's, it's, it's I mean, a, but it's a warning to all of us that, because um, I think there's a lot of people who think, well, I can, um, I think I can not follow God and be adversarial toward God, and then eventually I'll come back around, swing back around, yeah. and I'll get saved. But there is a a possibility of heart of hardness of your heart that results in you. And I think it was more clear in Matthew the way it's phrased that um, that you don't come back from it. That you you turn against God, and then all of a sudden your heart becomes hard against you, and and you don't see God as being God anymore. You you don't. Um, you become apostate in your in your thinking. We don't think that can happen to us, but the only um, the only way you can be saved is for God's grace to give you the ability to see that that it is God, that He is Jesus, and that it is the Holy Spirit, that it is the Spirit of God working within Him to accomplish these things, hmm. and to put your faith in that. And once uh, and if you see that in that moment, and you don't seize upon it, and you don't put your faith in Him. You may not ever see it again. Uh, the the thing that I always have to remind myself of, because I think there's this picture we get in our head that we're all going to be standing there um, getting to heaven, and there's going to be a lot of lost people who are going to be going, you know, if you just had Sunday school available at 8 a.m., <laughs> then I would have been, I would have followed Jesus, and I would have trusted him, and, you know, if you had just not gone to the restaurant that day and had come to my house and witnessed to me, then I would have followed Jesus, and I'd be in heaven, and I wanted to worship Jesus, and I wanted to love him, but I never got the opportunity. That doesn't exist. The people who want to follow Christ, the people who see Jesus as being the Christ, um, those people will be in heaven. Yeah. It is uh, the people who are not going to heaven do not want to worship him for all eternity, do not recognize the power with them as being from God. They um, they will be made to worship him. Their, their knees will bow. Their tongues will confess that he is Lord, but they will not love him. Right. Thanks again for listening to the Understanding Jesus podcast put on by First Baptist Church of Jackson. If you would like more information, you can find us online on our website at firstbaptistjackson.com. You can email us at daniel at firstbaptistjackson.tv. Or you can find us on social media, First Baptist Jackson on Facebook and FBCJMO on Instagram. We've got a lot of content in all of those places, and we would love to hear your questions on the content that we cover. If you would like to be a part of the podcast, you can email us and message us at any of those ways, or you can call the church office at 573-243-8415, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week.